0: Um, that's quite exciting news to me. Even more exciting news is the news in here. So let's put that aside for a moment as we come to look at this, uh, which is really exciting. Um, you, if you've been here over the last five weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series in Acts uh, looking at Jesus' continued work uh, on earth through his uh, disciples after his death and resurrection. Uh, we're, we're finishing that up now. And before we move on to something else uh, next week, we're taking uh, what, what you might call a musical interlude, I suppose, Um, The Psalms have been described as the songbook of God's people. Uh, They show us the way that God's people responded to him in all kinds of situations, uh, when they were defeated, when they were victorious, when they were remembering the past, and when they were looking forwards uh, to the future, when they felt completely hopeless, and when they were completely amazed uh, by the glory of God. They're the responses of God's people to him, uh, but they're also God's word to us, It's like they're kind of authorized uh, responses to God, if you like. In them, we learn how to respond to God rightly. A guy called Charles Spurgeon once wrote, "'The delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure.'" a pretty good endorsement for the Psalms, I think, and I'd really encourage you, particularly if you've not spent much time in the Psalms, to go away uh, and explore them uh, a lot further yourself. There are 150 of them, uh, but we're limited to one today, Uh, so if you would uh, turn with me to Psalm 46, which is on page 570 of the Church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and would uh, value looking on at one, which might be helpful, just poke your hand in the air, and uh, one will, will appear by you in a moment. It's page 570. I'm going to read Psalm 46. For the director of music of the Sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me pray as we come to think a little bit more about that psalm. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in us now as we come to uh, think about it uh, more. Please would you um, send us away from here, having, having come to know you better and knowing better how to rightly respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as, as some of you know, I, I have a twin brother, and as a result of that, growing up, there was a lot of wrestling uh, that took place. Uh, now, there, there were exceptions to this rule, I'd like it uh, to, be, to be noted for the record, but as a general rule, uh, my brother always won every single wrestling match. Uh, but at the end of the match, when he had me pinned to the ground uh, and completely helpless, I would inevitably uh, cry out, do you yield? A, uh, a surprising uh, a thing to, to say at that point, uh, but really just a ridiculous uh, show of bravado in the face of certain defeat. And I suspect that there are times when it looks like God's people are putting on a ridiculous show of bravado when they say that they are trusting in God, when they say that they do not fear even in the face of trouble. Perhaps it can sound to those listening like, like an empty claim holding up a feeble and vain hope, um, but which is really baseless in the end. Uh, no more uh, than, than me asking my brother if, if he yielded when, when he had me pinned to the floor. And maybe there are times when we don't even need the voices of those looking on, where it sounds to ourselves, even as we say it, uh, like, like a pointless show of bravado. Is that the case, though? Is the claim of trusting in God a ridiculous show of bravado, or is there something behind it? Well, uh, Psalm 46, our song of God's people, makes a surprising claim uh, in the first section, which you might say is kind of like the first verse of the song. The psalmist doesn't stop there, having made that surprising claim. He goes on to give two different bits of evidence, backing up the surprising claim, showing that it's not ridiculous bravado. Uh, but but that that it's true in in what we might call the second and the third verses of our song. We'll start looking at that surprising claim in a moment, Uh, but before that, there's something else to notice. This song isn't so much like a traditional hymn, uh, but more like one of the modern songs we sing here at St. Mark's, because it doesn't just have uh, verses, it has a chorus as well. Um, We we get it first in verse 1. And then in slightly different words, again in verse 7. And then verse 7 is repeated word for word in verse 11. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And verse 7 and 11 say, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The fact that God is our strength and fortress is what the psalmist keeps coming back to in this psalm. It's his main point. And we'll come back to that chorus as we, as we go on. But let's first have a look at, at his first point, a surprising claim. Having begun in verse 1 with, with what we're calling our chorus, um, stating that God is our refuge and strength, the psalmist goes on to make what I think looks like a surprising claim. Have a look down at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. What a claim that is. We will not be afraid even when the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the ocean. I think probably the the biggest mountains I've ever uh, flown over in a plane uh, were the Swiss Alps. As you fly over them, uh, you see them arrayed before you, huge and stretching for mile after mile, 750 miles apparently, and uh, so high that the tops of them are covered in snow and ice even in the middle of summer. But even so, the highest mountains in the Alps are nothing compared to the highest mountains in the world, Uh, 15,782 feet uh, in comparison to Everest's uh, 29,029 feet above sea level. My point is that mountains are big. Perhaps I don't need to really convince you of that, uh, but there you have it. They They are huge, immovable, as firmly established as anything And this is where the psalmist goes, the destruction of what seems the most huge and stable and powerful in the world. Imagine great mountains uh, giving way, tumbling into the sea, quaking, something that seems like it should be absolutely terrifying, and yet the psalmist's claim is that with God as their refuge, his people do not fear, even though that should happen. And it gets worse than that. It's not just that the mountains fall, but it's where they end up as well. We see it there at the end of verse 2 and in verse 3. Mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. If the mountains are pictures of what's most sure and stable in the world, then the sea is a picture of what is most chaotic. We find uh, the sea used throughout the Bible as a picture of chaos to the extent where in Revelation chapter 21, we're told that in in heaven, in the new creation, there will be no sea, as a way of telling us that there will be no chaos or disorder in the new creation. So in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist pictures what is most stable and established in the world, being overthrown by what is most chaotic and treacherous. And yet, the claim again, is that God's people will not fear even in the face of that. Well, it seems unlikely to me that we're going to see mountains falling into the heart of the sea anytime soon, and yet it does seem possible, doesn't it, that the things that would seem the, the most established and sure in our lives might be thrown into doubt and chaos. Things like our relationships or our health, uh, maybe even, even our homes or our jobs, perhaps even our freedom or our rights. These things that we may, in practice, even not in theory, consider to be unchangeable, could at any time, like those mountains, uh, be thrown into chaos. Sickness uh, could take our, our health or affect our family and friends. Uh, there's this relationship breakdown everywhere we look in the world today. Uh, our jobs and our homes, even, are not, are not certain things. Um, they, they could change the laws uh, to, make us, to make it illegal for us to, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Perhaps some of us here are all too aware uh, that that can be the, the case in our lives, that the things that seem sure uh, can turn out not to be. The question is, what do God's people do uh, when that happens? What do they do in the face of that? And they may well happen, if there's no promise that they won't. The psalmist doesn't say, God is our refuge, and then therefore the earth will not give way, and the mountains will not fall into the sea, uh, which will always be still and calm, no, the psalmist says that because God is our refuge, we will not fear though the Earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and surge. The psalmist is not saying that bad things will not happen to God's people, but they will not fear when they do. Uh, this is, this is a, a surprising claim, perhaps, uh, but it can be true. It's not just a ridiculous show of bravado. If we're Christians, uh, we can join with the psalmist in saying we will not fear when those things happen. And the psalmist gives us evidence for this. He doesn't just make the claim and walk off. No, he backs it up. Uh, He backs it up with two bits of evidence uh, showing why that is the case in the the second and third verses of the song, if you like. And the first one, in the second verse of our song, is, is a greater truth. We've seen this surprising claim, but it's followed up with a greater truth. The second verse of the song stands in stark contrast uh, with the first verse, where the first verse was all uh, uh, fearfulness and, and chaos, uh, the second verse is all security and intimacy. If we were putting this song to music, uh, the first verse might be accompanied by kind of big drums and, and brass, uh, but this second verse feels much more to me like a kind of, a kind of strings and woodwind uh, deal. It has a very different feel, a very different tone. In this section, we see a greater truth, the truth of what's going on behind the the chaotic face of things. After quite a sudden lull in the music, the the, the strings come in 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 verse 4 of the psalm, and in contrast with the chaotic sea of the first section, instead of a sea, we get a river. Verse 4, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Far from the chaos of the sea, uh, the sea is a picture of this chaos, this river is a picture of provision and of life. Obviously, uh, water is needed for life. We might often... uh be quite able to forget that uh, living in England where water is so abundant. But I suppose we've uh, been reminded of it a little more than usual in the last couple of months. Uh, the, the only place before where I've seen grass look as dead and brown as it did uh, just out there just a few weeks ago was, was Australia in drought. Uh, but water brings life. Having just gotten back uh, from Australia the other day, everything's turned green again. And, and it's rain uh, that did that, it's water. While the sea is very often a picture of chaos in the Bible, Water is very often a picture of life. We thought earlier about the fact that we're told that there will be no sea in the new creation, no chaos, but we are told that there'll be a river. In Revelation 22, John is writing about his his vision of of heaven, and in verses 1 and 2, he writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. The river... uh, the river we see in this psalm in is very much like that. Maybe it's the same river. God's people do not fear in the face of trouble because they know that God ultimately provides for them and is the one who gives them life. Uh, but it's even more than that. It's even more than him providing for them. He doesn't just provide for them, which is great in and of itself. He dwells with them as well. Verse 5 says of the city of God, uh, which is a picture of the dwelling place of God's people, that God is within her. She will not fall, God will help her at break of day. Again, uh, we have this contrast. The mighty mountains may fall, yet God's people in his city will not fall because God provides for them and is with them. Bad things might happen to them, it's true, but ultimately uh, they will not fall. It would be uh, wonderful if God were, were just the provider, but he's more than that. He dwells with his people as well. Despite the fact that bad things happen, um, they, 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 they do happen. We're reminded of that in verse 6, just in case the, the previous two verses have kind of uh, lulled us. Verse 6, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. Uh, all this is going on, yet God's people do not fear because they are aware, are aware of this greater truth uh, that, that their life-giving God dwells with them and that they will not fall. Despite the chaos, uh, despite the chaos of their, the lives around them, they have intimacy with their God. This was, uh, of course, written a very long time ago, uh, but it's still relevant for us today, isn't it? Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. It, it sounds to me like the evening news. And, and more than it being relevant to us today still, we're actually in an even better position uh, to sing this song with confidence than God's people in the Old Testament were. Because we have the privilege of living after Jesus' death and resurrection, In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, it says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. We have this uh, same picture of water bringing life and of intimacy with God as well. If we're trusting in Jesus, we have the promise of life, not just now, uh, but in eternity also. The the things that the world sees as most secure and sure may be thrown into chaos, but we needn't fear even in the face of that, because the promise of life that we have uh, doesn't just seem secure and sure, it, it is secure and sure. It can't be shaken thrown into chaos like the things of this world so easily can and we also have intimacy with god he dwells not just with us Uh, he did dwell with his old testament people in in jerusalem in the temple but now he dwells in us by his holy spirit we saw jesus promise that that those who believe in him have god's spirit living in them that's how closely he dwells with us today he could not be closer to us and we're reminded uh, of, of how wonderful he is, as we return to that uh, that chorus in verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, and it's this fact that God is the Lord Almighty that is the second piece of evidence that the claim of God's people to not need to fear in the face of trouble is a true is is true. It's not a ridiculous show of bravado. They don't fear in the face of trouble because God is Almighty. We've seen that they are aware of this greater truth that God is is, is the life giver who provides for them and dwells with them. And now in the third and final verse of our song, uh, we see that the God who does these things for them is the almighty God. It's our third and final point, an almighty God. I've seen a couple of uh, different uh, TV series and read a book or two set in the 1400s in England during the War of the Roses, where the, the Yorks and the Lancasters were fighting for the English throne. And that period of of English history makes for a really great story because there are always these uh, kind of exciting battles going on and powers changing hands from person to person and people are changing allegiances. But while it makes for quite good entertainment for me on my sofa today, 500 years on, I don't think it would have been that great to live through it at the time. Uh, There must have been a lot of uncertainty. You'd never know if the person you were supporting was uh, going to come out on top or not. If you were on the side of, of whichever king was in power, were you, were you still going to be on the right side at the end of the battle, or would you be in exile, or worse? must have been pretty devastating to put all your eggs into one basket, uh, backing someone who was in power, only uh, to find out that they weren't in power uh, come the end of the battle, that they'd been overthrown. Really, if you're going to follow someone, if you're going to put your trust in one person completely, you want to be pretty sure that that person is going to come out on top in the end, don't you? God's people, in in Psalm 46, are trusting in and following God. He's the one uh, that they've thrown their lot in with, if you like. He is their refuge. He is their strength and their fortress. But unlike uh, those supporting York or Lancaster in the War of the Roses... God's people are in absolutely no doubt of the outcome. They know what the outcome will be. They know uh, that their God is going to come out victorious in the end. They aren't in any doubt because God is not a fallible human king or a weak and false idol. He is the Lord Almighty. We see it there as a name of God in verse 7 and 11. It's not some empty title either. We see what it looks like in practice in verses 8 and, and 10. If we had some, some kind of, you know, strings and then woodwind accompanying verses 5 and 6, then, then here we have the big drums and the horns are coming back in in full for, force in verse 8 to, to accompany the third and final verse of the song. We see the power and authority of the Lord Almighty. Have a look down at verse 8. Come and see what the Lord Almighty has done, the destruction He had bought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's perhaps not uh, the way that we are most used to thinking of God as almighty, as as ceasing wars. And uh, yet we see here that it is true. God is not to be stood against and nor are his people. Uh, without there being very serious consequences as a result. In fact, nobody can ultimately successfully stand against God. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shield. Such is his power. Verse uh, 10 here might come as a bit of a surprise, I think, because I feel like we're probably used to reading the beginning half of that verse, perhaps on a nice uh, calendar or a card with some nice pastels uh, in the background to be still and know that I am God. And, I mean, that's a nice thing to do, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't seem to be what's going on in the context here, does it? It seems to read more naturally as an authoritative command from God uh, to the armies and the nations of the world uh, to be still before him. God speaks and the armies are still and silenced before him. God is the one who back at the beginning of Genesis spoke creation uh, into existence. His voice has immense power and authority behind it. God is almighty. His people do not fear when all seems to be thrown into chaos because they have an almighty God who cannot ultimately be defeated, even though uh, it looks like everything is going wrong in the world now. Back in the War of the Roses, people might have been uncertain of of who to back, of who was going to come out on top, Uh, but God's people are not uncertain. They know that God is bigger than anything uh, that will come at them. They needn't fear. It's like when when a small uh, child, a little year one child on the playground, isn't afraid of the year one bullies because he knows that he has a big sister in year six that can deal with any of them, only on a cosmic scale. He is the same God who is our fortress today if we're Christians. In case we've forgotten, we're reminded of it again as we come back to our chorus in verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, We can take refuge in him if we're his people, and we needn't fear as a result of that. If we're Christians, if we're God's people, we do not need to fear. Again, uh, it's not that we needn't fear because bad things won't happen. We're told that they will. Uh, We needn't fear because of who we're trusting in because of who our God is. We needn't fear uh, because of that. There will probably be, be times uh, when the things that we think of as most solid and sure in this world uh, prove not to be. There might be times when we, when we want to say, you know, God, it would be great if you would make those, those wars uh, cease, uh, those things end right now. Uh, we'll feel that way at times, but at the same time, we know that even though He won't necessarily do things to our time frame, uh, He will ultimately do it. He has done it in, in all kinds of ways uh, in the past already. When this was written, uh, God's people's big enemy uh, were, were the Babylonians. Their civilization no longer even exists. Uh, God has done this in all kinds of ways in, in the past, and he will ultimately do it in the future uh, when Jesus returns again. In uh, Revelation, again, John has a vision of when Jesus will return to cease all wars. Revelation 19, uh, we read this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and, he ha- and his- on his head are many crowns. If we are God's people, we need not fear. We are backing the sure winner. Our God gives us life. He provides for us. He dwells with us. And he is also the almighty God. And I know that that is easier said than done, particularly if we're facing those things at the moment, if we're facing uh, things that seemed sure in our lives, proving not to be. Uh, Sometimes things get scary. It's not always easy not to fear, uh, to remember that God is with us, that he is our our fortress despite what is going on. Uh, But we can work on remembering that. And we can use this psalm, uh, and, and other psalms, in fact, as a way of doing that. They're not only wonderful uh, things to help us respond to God no matter how we're feeling. Like, I promise you, despite how you're, no matter how you're feeling, there's a psalm uh, to go along with it. They're also a great way on instructing us uh, how to feel in, in response to all kinds of different situations. We can use this song, that is Psalm 46, to encourage ourselves to be fearless uh, by joining with God's Old Testament people, Israel, in proclaiming uh, this psalm in making this surprising claim that we do not fear, uh, despite uh, what is going on, despite things that seem sure in this world uh, being thrown into chaos. And we can make that claim uh, because we're aware of the greater truth. It's a surprising claim, uh, but we can make it because there's a greater truth uh, that God is the one who provides for us and dwells with us. And that that God who does those things for us is the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's stand to pray. I don't know uh, what's going on uh, in your your life at the moment. Perhaps there there are things that that seemed uh, sure and stable in this world that have have suddenly proved not to be. Uh, Perhaps there are things that seem sure and stable in this world that you're putting uh, more trust in uh, than you should be. Uh, that, that you need to, to redirect that trust to the one who is ultimately our fortress uh, if we're following him. But let's bring those things before God. Heavenly Father, uh, though, though, this, uh, surprise, th- so, though this claim is surprising um, that your people need not fear, uh, despite what happens in this world, despite how, how scary it becomes, uh, we thank you that it is not an empty show uh, of bravado. Thank you that it is a claim we can uh, genuinely make because we know who you are, that you are the God who provides for us uh, and dwells with us, that you are the Lord Almighty. We pray that uh, you would be uh, inking uh, those truths about who you are onto our hearts more and more uh, so that we might respond uh, uh, well to you in every situation and depend on you regardless of what is going on. In Jesus' name, amen.